Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, you have given us eternal life and made us your children absolutely free of charge. However, while you have freely given us this gift, that does not mean that it came at no expense to you. You purchased and won it for us by taking on human flesh, withstanding all temptation for us, suffering the punishment our sins deserve and rising victorious for us. Let us ever count the cost of our Christian freedom and salvation, not so that we feel a guilt trip towards you, but rather that we see the value of the gift and henceforth never withhold that precious gift from others by refusing to forgive them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the epistle to Philemon, verses 1 and 10 through 21. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. I am appealing to you on behalf of my child Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. There was a time when he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him, who is my very heart, back to you. Welcome him. I want to keep him with me so that he might serve me in your place while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that your kindness would not be the result of compulsion, but of willingness. Perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a while so that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a dear brother. He certainly is dear to me, but he's even more of a dear brother to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, have written this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Yes, brother, I'm asking for a favor from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our gospel lesson in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, Jesus tells us we're going to be resented by family and friends if we follow him. Jesus has saved us. And if anything is going to get in the way of our eternal salvation, we should hate and despise it. And that's why Luke verse 33 says, So then any one of you who does not say farewell to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have what was considered property in the Roman world, a slave, in some kind of a predicament, and and the Apostle Paul is interceding for him, And we're going to apply a lot of what's in our text today to answering the question, what does counting the cost of your discipleship look like? And right away we are given quite a picture. The first verse of our text says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. And he says, I'm appealing to you on behalf of my child Onesimus because I became his father while I was in chains. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul is under what appears to be house arrest. See, all the other apostles were not Roman citizens. And we know right away the Jews began began persecuting the Christians And the only thing that could stop that was the protection of the government. But the government, just like with Pilate, 
participating in the murder of Jesus by not standing up against it, itself had begun to persecute Christians. And the Apostle Paul appeals to the Supreme Court. Only a Roman citizen could do that. Anybody else in the Roman government's eyes, they were scumbag. And if you were a slave, you were just property. And so the Apostle Paul makes that appeal. He will be in jail for many years as he waits for his moment that will be before Nero. Now, ultimately, what happens is the Apostle Paul uses his Christian freedom and uses the circumstances God gave him, having been born a Roman citizen, to appeal before Nero. And Christianity will be considered a legal religion and will be under the protection of the Roman government. Five to roughly ten years later, Paul will appear again before Nero and it will be considered an outlawed religion. And the Roman government will become the biggest persecutor of Christians until the Inquisition happens in the medieval and early Reformation age. Paul used his time, was willing to sit in prison in his Christian freedom to make the gospel free for others. And the gospel was given a period of time in which it would find itself under legal protection so that it could flourish. Now, as a side note, when it was no longer legal, it flourished even more as it was being persecuted. We are never told what sin Onesimus committed. Christianity throughout the ages has assumed he was a runaway slave. Now, if you were a runaway slave and you were brought caught and brought back to your master, first offense, they put an iron collar on you with instructions on how to be returned to your master, inscribed on it or chained to it like what we call dog tags. Second offense, you were crucified. If Onesimus is a runaway slave, and most of Christianity is always assumed he is, the Apostle Paul is looking to free him from that collar and free him from being crucified. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Apostle Paul in this epistle never does appeal to Philemon to actually free Onesimus. That's not his appeal at all. He appeals that Philemon uh, uh, free Onesimus from any obligation like that collar, rather that he forgive him. And so he says there was a time when he was useless to you. And if he's an escaped slave, that would be a big reason why he was useless. And let's admit it. When you force somebody to labor, they're generally not the greatest laborer anyways. So there was a time when he was useless to you, but now he's useful both to you and to me. I have sent him who is my very heart back to you. As a side note, the Greek word that we translate as heart is not heart. It's splengthen, my very guts. I think of the guts as the seat of emotions at that time. But there's a beautiful picture. By sin, it's actually a gory picture as well. By sending Onesimus back to you, he had come to me, I converted him, the Lord used me to convert him, and he's been so helpful to, to me that by sending him back, it's like I'm ripping my own guts out and I'm laying there in pain, unable to do anything. And then he says, welcome him. Not free him, welcome him. And again, the Greek verb that's used there is receive him to your side. Now he's going to explain further what that means. But this means don't lock him in prison. Don't beat him. Don't put the collar on him if he's guilty of escape. If he was sent by Philemon to assist Paul or sent on a different mission and Philemon took a side note, forgive him 
and welcome him back. That's what Paul is asking for. And as a side note, it is beautiful that Paul never does specifically mention Onesimus' sin. So often we know a, a big sin with one of our members and, and they repent and we say they're, they're forgiven. We don't need to discuss it to death and rub it into their faces, do we? Christ has washed their sin away. What does counting the cost of your discipleship look like? It looks like using your freedom, for you are free in Christ, to free others. That may be being willing to be in prison. That may be being willing to put in chains. It may be, like Onesimus, if he was a runaway slave, returning to Philemon, putting on those chains of slavery again, in order to proclaim the gospel and let the good news of forgiveness reign in your heart. We're told then in verse 13, I wanted to keep him with me so that he might serve me in your place while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that your kindness would not be the result of compulsion, but of willingness. The Apostle Paul in this letter doesn't begin, as he does most letters, I, an apostle, I'm writing to you as my authority, an apostle, and he still would be writing to Philemon, but he doesn't come in and tell Philemon, this is what you have to do. He lets the good news of salvation in Christ do the work. I'm not going to force you to do this. That's something we always want to remember as a congregation. For example, offerings. Offerings are between that person and God and are an expression of their gratitude. We should never, ever turn around and say, let me look at your income. You're now obligated to give us 10%. That's compulsion. We should never look at somebody's talents and say, you know how to fix this in your church and in our congregation and you'd better do this for free. The Apostle Paul works to God's glory. He knows that the love of God that has saved him, Philemon, and Onesimus is going to work. So he uses his freedom to God's glory. I'm not going to compel you. If you choose not to send him back to, to continue helping me, that's your right. If you do, I want you to do it out of willingness because you love the Lord and you love me as your brother. And he explains something even deeper in verse 15. Perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a while, so that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but as more than a slave. As a dear brother. He certainly is dear to me, but he's even more of a dear brother to you, both in flesh and the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Pretty clear, Philemon was already a believer. He had slaves. Whether he'd sent Onesimus on a different mission and Onesimus stayed too long, or he sent him to Paul on that mission, he stayed too long, or as probably is the case, Onesimus was a runaway slave. God says, whatever sin Onesimus committed... Paul says God had something else in mind. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not that we run out to commit a sin so that we can get a blessing to God. Paul says a lot about that in the epistle to the Romans. But he does point out God didn't slam the door shut in preventing Onesimus' sin. Rather, God took his sin and used it so that he would know Jesus as his Savior. And if he is a runaway slave... There was one thing in the Roman law that would explain why he would have ran to Rome and to the Apostle Paul. You see, if they were under somebody who was a close associate, a good friend of their slave owner, or even somebody who's in a position of authority over their slave owner, they were not considered runaway because that person could be used to return them and that was fine, or they could be considered borrowed to that person. 
So it may very well be he bumps into Paul and says, here's my chance. In whatever case God used his sin, that Onesimus would come and talk to the Apostle Paul and God would use the Apostle Paul to show him true freedom is in Jesus Christ. So in spite of the ugliness of his sin, God is glorified. Another person is added to the bride of Christ, the church. In other words, another person becomes a believer. And he says, so if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Treat him as your brother in Christ as I am your brother in Christ. And what is clearly implied there? Forgive him. Don't have the collar put on him. Don't beat him. Don't have him whipped. Forgive him. Now, this is a lesson for us today. We don't use slaves today. And as a side note, people get upset because the Apostle Paul never condemned slavery in this letter. But there are times we have to remember, in a world where there was not a welfare system, if the choice was between you and your children starving to death or sell yourself into slavery and get three square meals a day and a roof over your head, you'll take that. And although our American freedom, which is a wonderful blessing, may make us repulse against slavery, some of those slaves, if they could see the way we live today, would tell you, you're a slave to your career. You're a slave to the automobile you use to get you to work. You are even more hurried than many times slaves had. You're slaves to more things. But the Apostle Paul here appeals to the grace of God, to God's glory. You are a believer Forgive him as you would forgive me as your brother in Christ. So what does counting the cost of your discipleship look like? It looks like using your freedom to free others, and it looks like using your freedom to glorify God. God is glorified when we live in forgiveness and we show the forgiveness, the grace of God to others. But let's admit it. If your slave has ran away, and it would take some time to get from Colossae, where uh, Philemon lives, to Rome. Probably in that time, he's been deprived of the services, and so he's probably had to buy another slave or hire an employee. He would be deprived of some expenses. There's a hint here there's going to be a financial loss, and that might be it. Maybe Philemon stole when he ran away. Maybe the sin is he sent him off and he stole as he went off some money. But there's a predicament. If you're a slave and your, and your owner decides he's not going to give you any money, how are you ever going to repay him for the damages for his loss simply in the lack of your labor? The Apostle Paul, sitting in jail, takes his brother's burden upon himself. He says, and if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. And just to make it very clear, it seems either Paul had, was very shaky, so he had to write in big letters as he signs like the epistle to the Galatians. It's clear he dictates most of his letters. Timothy is probably why he's mentioned here. He's dictated it to him. But Paul goes out of his way. He says in verse 19, I, Paul, have written this with my own hand. And here he writes it. I will repay it. To take the burden of somebody else's sin and say it's now my burden. This is the one barrier that could keep Philemon from forgiving Onesimus. You have cost me money. Oh, okay, somebody's willing to repay that debt. I just have to send them the charges. And just to make sure, the Apostle Paul says not to mention that you owe me your very self. He's not saying this is a guilt trip. He's not saying, by the way, don't charge me because I'm the one who brought salvation to you as God's messenger. No. What he's saying is, because God has brought you to the faith using my proclamation of his word, please charge me. 
That's where he uses his relationship. He uses a beautiful relationship to the advantage of another brother in Christ, Onesimus. Not saying, don't charge me, but saying, please consider my relationship and charge me and not take it out on Onesimus. And so he says, yes, brother, I'm asking you for a favor. I'm asking for a favor from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Charge me for any wrongdoing. Forgive Onesimus. What does Christian freedom look like? It looks like using your freedom to pay another's debt. Are we willing to donate of our time and our talents for a brother or sister in Christ who have fallen in the cesspool of sins? Are we willing to stay up all night with a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling with addiction to keep them away from the poison that their body is screaming it needs to have? Are we willing when a brother or sister in Christ has fallen into such a grave sin to help them repay their debt? That's Christian freedom. We're not obligated to. And yet, why are we motivated to? Because we owe a big debt. We owe a gigantic debt. It's an eternity in hell. And yet God paid that for you. He connected you to Himself who's paid for your sins by the Holy Spirit, having given you that new creation. And so this actually simply flows out of that new creation that's connected to Christ as a branch is to the vine. Lastly, the Apostle Paul says in verse 21, Confident of your obedience, I will write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Scripture often refers to faith as the obedience of faith. The gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ, makes one demand. It demands that you believe it. And unlike the ten demands of the law, it actually supplies your ability to fulfill that demand by giving you the Holy Spirit who gives birth to the new man and that does actually believe. The Apostle Paul, in a very neat way, is simply saying, confident of your faith, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. We are never told if Philemon forgave Onesimus or not. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we have no reason to assume that he didn't. Philemon was a Christian and he appears to be a mature believer. What does counting the cost of discipleship look like? It looks like confidence in God's grace. Paul knew God was at work in Philemon's heart. He knew God was at work in Onesimus' heart. And he was confident that God's Holy Spirit would guide Philemon to show brotherly love to his slave Onesimus. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I have tremendous freedom. We are not compulsed. We don't have to do anything. The Apostle Paul was not forced to write this letter. Well, he was inspired to, so he had a great motivation, but... Here we see an application of all of that. What does counting the cost of your discipleship look like? It looks like using your freedom to free others, especially from the slavery of sin, death, and the devil by proclaiming the good news of the one who's freed them, Jesus Christ. It looks like using your freedom to glorify God, showing the forgiveness that's been given to you to others and God is glorified. It looks like using your freedom to pay another's debt because you know that your debt has been paid in full and you've been empowered to do that by Christ's blood. And it looks like confidence in God's work of grace, knowing it is all powerful because God is all powerful. Amen. Now may the Lord our God be with us just as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us or abandon us. May he turn our hearts to him as we walk in all his ways. Amen.